are listening to a production of the Torn. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 206, Diorama Rama. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sano, and this is Common Rider Saber, episode 19, Flame and Light, Sword and Sword, and episode 20, Crumbling Castle, Will of the Sword. <sighs> Sorry, I realize that it's just a thing they do, but wow, these names are just so long and so nothing. And they're also not even the longest ones this show has had. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Anyway, sorry, do go on. Our writer for both is Fukuda Takuro. Our director for both is Ishida Hidenori. And let's just let's just roll on in. Yeah, well, all right, since we're rolling in, let's get to the bad stuff first, because this, I don't know, man, th- these are some weird episodes. Uh, Yuri's behavior felt very weird. Like, he's only been around for a little while, but a lot of behaviors felt out of character. Yeah, I was sort of having the same thing, because... It felt like they can't decide if the way he's weird is due to the fact that he's not a human, you know, he's, he's a sword man, or if, like, he has the mind of a small child, or if he's just, like, if you gave a cat a sword, which, by the way, don't do that, that sounds like a very dangerous idea. Yeah, um, it's just, like, right off the bat in 19, like, he hears the notifications on May's phone and tries to, like sneakily move himself over to take it without them noticing instead of just getting distracted and picking it up to see what the noise is because sneaking like that makes it feels like he knows he's doing something wrong and doing it anyway which feels kind of weird when he is the lawful good i might even i might go so far as say lawful neutral at, at this point i think he might get to lawful good he's just he just seems very like lawful it's well, he, he feels like the lawful good paladin who is... Oh, yeah. Like, that's Your how stereotype he... stereotype yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Who true. would not steal someone's phone to play with it. He would just... Or, like, I don't know. Like, he would just pick it up because he doesn't realize that he's not supposed to mess with someone else's phone. Because he doesn't know yeah. what a phone is. Or he'd use his weird, like, the light powers that he does to just, like, make the phone explode or something. Just, it... But yeah, your, your point that it feels weird is, is yeah. Like, I don't think he'd think about what I am doing is wrong. They will get mad at me if I want to look at this. I think he would just do it because he doesn't realize that he's doing a an impolite thing. And then later he's just like sitting off to the side against a wall reading this comic book for the 10th time instead of fighting the Megid. Like, yeah, like, yo, that is an American comic book. That thing is 22 pages. You don't need to go that many times, bruv. Yeah, like, sure, he's fascinated by comics, but he doesn't... He wouldn't ignore a rampaging Megid that is beating Saber. Like, it's not even like he could have been like, no, Saber's got this, because he clearly did not. Like, dude sacrificed his own humanity to protect the Sword of Light. He might be a little obtuse, or more than a little obtuse, but from what we've yeah. seen, he's the last dude who would shirk duty, even if it's to, like, ponder an upgrade. <laughs> and then in 20, he, like, just awkwardly rides a bike through frame, but there's nothing more to it beyond this weak visual gag. He's not, like, he doesn't ask for an explanation of the bicycle. I don't know. And No, he's just, yeah. It just, it felt very weird that he just kind of, like, gets on this bicycle and just pushes it with his feet and just clearly, like, crashes into some trash cans and we just don't address it at all. It is just a very weak visual gag. 
And then he just stands there in a daze while May has to take out his belt, put it on him, dig the book out of his cloak, and go through the motions of transforming for him. And, like, why? What What happened that he was just standing there? Yeah, and, like, I really just do not get that part. Like, okay, I could see if, if this was a, you know, if he was so blown away by something, but I don't know what it would be. Like, but nothing on happened. top of that, yeah, exactly. And, but more than that, like, we've seen him jump into action in ways that we kind of thought were about him getting ready to do a straight-up murder on a person, you know, when the people in the Megid. So, like, here, when he's, when there's a Megid right over there, he's just nothing. I just, I don't understand. It's so weird. And not in a fun way. Yeah, like it's... I missed, I missed the level of weird that was like, "Hey, now we're doing, now we're gonna go and play with unreality and visuals that are are fun and wild." Yeah, like I missed the or unreality of a dude riding into a bookstore on a bad CGI lion. Man, I didn't, I didn't know how much I was gonna miss that dude on his horrible CGI lion, or or when Kenta would come in on the horrible CGI flying carpet. Which shouldn't have been quite as horrible, but was somehow even more horrible, because at least the, the fake lion had some charm. Also, just as cute as the scene itself was, I'm very bummed that Yuki got her memory wiped and isn't going to be this on-again, off-again member of the team. Yeah. Like, her dynamic with Mei is so fun and lively, and it was nice to see them have these really serious moments kind of back at the beginning of that arc, and now that it's over, they kind of have this nice banter and comedic back and forth. And I'm gonna miss it, especially since Sophia isn't around for Mei to interact with, and Reika's yeah. the only other woman in this show. Yeah, which... Ugh. And honestly, it's just... On top of the the lack of ladies in the show just really biting, because that just... I I hate that more and more as we go. But on top of that, the whole mind wipe thing just sucks so hard. Because on top of everything else, that's not a call you should make for other people. They've been connected to something greater. They've, they've seen and touched and been a part of the Wonder World. And taking that away from them without even a question, that just sucks. I understand why, because they've been through, you know, Yugi's been through an absurdly traumatic experience, but I don't know if there was just a thing where she asked if there was any way that she could forget this, and then Yuri mind-wiped her. I think, like, we could talk about that. That'd be an interesting thing to discuss, just, oh, hey, who are these people? What are what are we talking about in in terms of dealing with trauma as a theme of the show, but I don't know. I I just wanted Yuki to have been involved in the process somehow. Yeah, the abruptness of it felt very much of, man, I just don't feel like dealing with this lady right now. And, like, buddy, yeah. it's, it's more than a little bit your job to deal with it. Yeah, that's, that's what you are here to do. You, it's, yeah, uh, we could go on and on, but it really is just, it's its their job to deal with this. I also wish they'd really stop kind of futzing around Ren and have him do something? Anything? Yeah. Like, clearly with the way they had 
disaster slash down at Storius and Ren slash down at Toma at the same time alongside one another and then disaster is like haha I knew you're one of us like they're setting up something with him and disaster and maybe kind of both of them pulling away from logos because disaster had that whole like I'm free now I don't care what you guys think and like the two of them doing something but like we're nearly halfway through the show and if you just take Ren out entirely nothing in the story would change yeah that's, i mean like i want to say i hate that that's true but i i no longer hate seeing red on screen but he's just set dressing at this point so yeah it's not even love or hate it's just shrug he's somehow the like action character equivalent of a sexy lamp yeah yeah and like i imagine he'll become important for like two minutes when it's time for kento to come back but it's just yeah, he is just the action equivalent of a sexy lamb. Like, if he has to be here, I wish that when this, like, Toma splitting off from Logos happened, Rintaro also just left Logos because he's made these valuable emotional connections and is like, okay, my family is these people that I made this promise with, and put the, like, dependence, the emotional dependence on Logos entirely on Ren, and kind of lean into how we know literally nothing about him. We we don't even know, like, Rintaro had his master at least, but we don't know who's been teaching Ren. Where, where has he gotten his values? The only emotional connection we've seen him have was Kento, who is gone. And have him in his grief and trauma doubling down harder and harder and harder on, no, Logos is right and Toma is wrong. Because splitting that conflict across two characters is not working, especially when one of them has done nothing in this show. Boy, you put it like that. I mean, I I will, to to bring one positive back to it, I will admit that when Disaster did the, like, sc cool scarf attack, and it was, like, wrecking Storius and Toma, Ren was doing cool, like, ninja jumps over it. But, like, one cool moment of a fight does not exist this larger... Like, it doesn't excuse this larger narrative problem. No, it really doesn't. And that's just them, like, knowing that cool visuals is an integral part of the genre. It's basically part of their job. So, like, they don't even really get credit for that with me. And knowing that Disaster is cool and should be doing cool things, like, that gets you nothing at this point. And doesn't even paper over how thin Ren's whole deal is, no matter how much foreshadowing they throw at him and it just it really highlights one of my big things which is if you don't have something to do with a character don't have them on screen again like you said if he wasn't here nothing would change if he disappeared from this from just the whole story at this point i don't think i'd notice and that sucks because he's a frustrating kid but you can do cool stuff with uh, someone who's all about that migrate might makes right life. Yeah, again, if if he has to be here, give him Rintero's current plotline and let Rintero just go chill. Yeah. Let Rintero just be a blue ranger. Yeah. Dang it. And look, like I know that might sound dismissive. You know, we like blue yeah, look, go listen to Laser Knees and listen to how much I talk about how great Shiguru is. 
over the course of Kira Major. I love that boy. Yeah. Just or heck, the the Power Rangers episode. Anytime we talk about Billy, yeah, in the the Power Rangers movie, because you know that movie's a mess. Billy is the heart of it and makes that movie work. Absolutely. Also, the way that you know the rest of. I, I guess I don't can't even call them the team. It's just Toma and Yuri come back to the bookstore to May, who is like comically frazzled and also like on a crutch and in a cast, maybe. And then Toma like undercuts her discovery about what's going on. I mean, I guess it wasn't awful, but it didn't feel good. Like, why is May always the punchline of physical comedy? Like, I'm, I'm having a really hard time getting my head around it. But whenever there's, like, weird Looney Tunes physical humor, May is always Daffy or Elmer and never Bugs. And with Rintaro now in opposition to the protagonist group, May isn't getting those serious emotional moments as much as she was. She did get some with Yuki a couple episodes ago, but... Yeah, but some. Even... Like, she, she would have them with Sora, and she would have them with Rintaro, and yeah, they kind of are always in the service of these dudes, but that's the fault of just not having more ladies in this show. That's a different problem that we already talked about. Like, right now, she's just babysitting Yuri, and whining, and getting blown up, and she deserves better than that. Yeah, she really does. Because, like, I feel like they're trying to have her there to highlight... Uh, the the frail humanity, and that's a that's a really good and interesting thing to do, but making it so she can't have anything of her own that isn't these these weird little mechanical things to fill in for what Toma doesn't feel like doing, like it sucks. It sucks most heinously because she's got all this cool potential, and if she's not going to get a sword. She should at least have dignity, and they don't even give her that, and y'all know how I feel when about characters who are written not to have dignity. It just, it sucks. It's lazy, which, frankly, is, is the worst thing on this show outside of cowardice, which is another problem this show has. But, like, May is our connection to the normal world. She's, she's the person with one foot in both worlds, who doesn't get superpowers from having one foot in both worlds. If she can't have dignity, or at least a couple wins, then we're just clowning on normal humanity, and... Okay, this might just be me, but the thing with the superhero as a figure, at least in, in how I relate to it, is that the superhero is there as aspiration. It's not just the power fantasy. It's the fantasy of becoming this bigger-than-life figure, not only in terms of strength or power or whatever, but in terms of goodness. The, the core fantasy of Superman is, if I had the powers of this demigod, I too would use them in a way that was good. But when you populate your show with the only normal humans being victims or clowns, which... Like, look, I hate to say it, that's kind of how they treat May. 
it becomes less about that aspiration and it starts to read like a longing for the the better person the ubermensch if you will to come and fix things and um that's not a good road to go down especially since with you with yuki in in the previous couple episodes that's a great way that we can lead may into being the lowest lane of this show like in a non-romantic way she's like the human counterpart to Toma's superman she's out there doing her all and doing it on the level of a common rider and that's admirable and we should be seeing that we should be paying attention to that we should be celebrating that but she just gets nothing like, she's got all of the Akiko vibe, and they're not letting her have any of the actual power that comes with who Akiko was. Because Akiko was great in that she got to engage in the slapstick, but was rarely ever the butt of it. She was now and then, but usually she was kind of the Bugs Bunny, or she would be the, she'd be the Roadrunner. And, you know, someone would try to do something, she'd smack him on the head with the slipper. And that's slapstick. She was never the, the straight man in the slapstick. But everyone who looked at her knew that girl would snap someone in half if they were going to hurt her client. Like, there there are moments where, like, Shotaro looks at her and Narumi, like, flashes over her. And it's like, oh, she she didn't just... She's not just some weird girl from from Osaka, this is, this is that guy's daughter. And she is every bit her father's daughter. Like, she was infiltrating the mansion of the final villains within the first ten episodes of the show without any help from the main writers, or them even knowing she was doing it. They didn't know where she was. Like, give me that. Let her run around Logos. She's got that key. What is it for? Right? I had forgotten about the key. Like, this girl can pull that off. I promise you. She has got some amazing range that she's shown off in this show. Let her do something with it. Yeah, because, like, she's got that presence. It's why, like, okay, look. I I may not love everything that uh, Koichi Sakamoto does, but I have noticed that in his episodes, she gets to, like, uh, do those uh, poses like Yuki and Miyu from Forza, you know, not even in the background, in the foreground. She's like, she ends up being kind of the hype man for the, for the writers, which, like, you know, look, I'd like her to have more, but she's at least there being self-possessed and powerful and charismatic and getting you hyped up for some stuff that's already, you know, you're already hyped for. It's, she's really good. But they just keep making her, like you said, she keeps being the butt of the joke. It's not fair. Also, and, and speaking of directors, um, I'm not going to say that these episodes are badly directed. They're not. They're, they're fine. But, like, I just keep flashing in my head about how the director here is the dude who was the head director of Kuga and Amazons and like he's 
and compared to so you know him and even you know in his most self-possessedly stylish heights this is just such thin gruel i realize that might not entirely be on him but it's just it's such a shame to see someone with that kind of skill not get to flex his muscles a whole lot you know yeah and again that might not be fair but here we are and speaking of here we are oh that's not that's not a very positive thing <laughs> um let's get into the the good stuff in these episodes because there is some get into it, i yeah i do want to say like every like watching every episode is pretty enjoyable but like there's less and less to chew on and it sucks yeah like i i know we are kind of ahead of where we're recording due to uh well we had trouble sourcing episodes yeah uh get him corp took a little hiatus which is fine um they had stuff going on and it happens um yeah we hope everyone at Genom Corp is, is feeling better, and uh, we appreciate all the work they're doing to catch up. Yeah, uh, but, uh, so we we kind of fell behind a little bit. We took kind of a break, and then we did a, a Rider Jump episode, and now we're catching up. And I know that things are starting to happen, so I'm hoping that things will actually start happening, but just these two episodes specifically just feel very thin- and we're trying. Yeah, we, we really are. I there is, again, there is good stuff, and let's get into it. But it's just, man. This anyway, anyway. At least uh, you know Toma, so Toma, and May give Yuri an earful about not explaining what he meant by cut her down. Like it was honestly really nice to see them let Toma, our hero, get angry like a normal person especially over something so worth being mad about and that at least in this moment they don't turn may's anger over it into a joke even if yuri isn't actually listening like again they move past they it still a little let her have anger. yeah like she she got to actually be angry over you know him putting her boss's life at risk they move past it a little quicker than i'd have liked but at least they got to let their feelings out, and we actually addressed it. Yes. Though, like, I know that the kids at home probably wouldn't want to watch these three have a long philosophical debate about what it is to cut someone down, or when it is or isn't an option, and how messed up it is that Yuri's either playing with them on this, or he doesn't get why they would want to not murder someone, or he just felt like keeping the information that they clearly would have wanted away from them this whole time. Like, maybe the kids wouldn't want to see that long discussion, but I sure wouldn't have minded. Like, I understand that he was saying something that is different than what they were interpreting, but they literally did ask him what he meant by that multiple times, and he didn't answer yeah. them. Yeah. Like, it's... Look, I know people, like, get on, um, what is it, Fies, right? About, hey, if all these people could have the conversation, it'd solve all their problems. And, you know, that's true, but also the point of the show is that they aren't those people. They aren't people who can have those conversations, and that's sort of the central hook and tragedy of it. 
all of these people are people who have no reason not to. Yuri has no reason not to be like, oh, I'm sorry, did I, was I not clear when I said cut her down? I meant, we, you know, we're going to cut her down as in, like, cut her down out of this figurative tree. Is that not an idiom people use anymore? Like, something like that. That would have been, you know, maybe not funny exactly, but it at least would have given us a little hook. But as it is, it's just Yuri being just, again, deliberately obtuse. And just, no one needs that. We're halfway into the show. We don't have time for you to be obtuse anymore. Uh, they're, they're killing me with Rintaro, though, kind of in the best possible way, because he is trying so hard, and Reika is just too good at gaslighting him, and it's destroying me, because I love that boy so much, and seeing him kind of pushed further and further into questioning his own heart is painful. And, like, I definitely appreciate how, like, they're showing that the facts and logic rhetorical style is just the weapon of utter D-bags. Just completely. Because he's, yeah, like you said, he, he's just, he's such a good kid, and he knows that he's getting mangled. Like, his soul is going through a ringer, but it's his family. And these are the folks who gave him his world and gave him a cause to live for, and now they're messing with him, and it's just so upsetting. It's not fun. Like, we're- I'm afraid we're gonna hit a point where that shot in the opening of Rintro, like, looking through books and then he turns at the camera and smiles, is gonna change to something, like, more sinister. And I'm gonna go absolutely feral if it does. This child does not deserve this. Really doesn't. Get that boy some herbal tea and a weekly appointment with a therapist so he get the tools he needs to cut out the toxic parts of his family. Because, like, look, you know, I'm I'm skeptical of having an organization as your family, but I understand that, you know, that's where he's coming from. So, like, maybe be a little more selective, because, hey, you know, sometimes you have members of your family who suck. And, uh, it's, it's no shame cutting them out of your life to save yourself, y'all. They're just, there ain't. Yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of like that the show is like, hey, found family good, but also, if your found family turns toxic, they don't have to be your family anymore. You chose your family no, once, you can do it again. Yeah, do it as many times as you need to. Though I have to say, like, I'd not really thought about it until just now, that they do treat his found family as just being actually as legit as if they were his blood family. Yeah, which is like which is nice. Yeah. Um, at least May still seems to believe in him, because she keeps going like, hey, what if we just talk to Rintero? And I really hope that she does, like, get him alone at some point, and just be like, yo, what the heck? I mean, honestly, like, I think that would work a treat, because it just involve him getting away from Reika's whole thing. Because I think that's part of why Reika is just always over his shoulder. Because if he was hanging out with Mei in any kind of non-extreme situation where he doesn't have adrenaline just going whole hog in his head, I bet he could probably agree that, yeah, sure, man, we want you to support your family. No one wants to take that away from you, but... Hey man, is your family acting like a family oughta? 
because like I bet it'd be like three questions from May because she'd know the questions to ask. She knows him. She likes him. They hang out, and it'd just be after those three questions, there'd just be a day of of going to the side of the river, just thinking about what it all means, man. And next thing you'd know, just he just wrecks Reka just completely, just owns her with facts and logic. Uh, in front of, I don't know, does she have a dad? He, like, he, he'd wreck her in front of her dad, her family, her mom, her sisters, everyone. Just mercilessly, hey, you know what? You suck. Here are the ways in which you suck. I have alphabetized them. He would, though. I alphabetized them. I checked their scan, I checked their, their, the rhythm of speech. So now, I will sing a song about the ways in which you suck. Yo, y'all ever see the Unraveled where Brian David Gilbert makes his attempt at the perfect poke rap? Oh my god, it's wild! Right? <laughs> just the run-up to the rap itself is great, and then he just goes. It's amazing. So, not to mention there's some great puns about uh, Pokemon as, uh, as, as slang for weed. It just, the whole thing is is an experience definitely like go look it up yeah I'll put it in the as mentioned um there there is something fairly comical in the first in the fact that the first time Legiel goes out to try and make a Megid out of a person he just gets so thoroughly owned by Saber <laughs> but apparently as he was doing that and in the time since Zeus and Storius have just been out there shoving books in people left and right with absolutely zero consequences. It's so good. I, honestly, I just love watching Legio get dunked on. Because he's got all the power of the legendary beasts, so in theory, he's the most powerful of them. But because he gotta act like Smog all the dang time, uh, he just keeps getting shot in the underbelly. It's beautiful. It's like the 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 balance of power between him and Zeus, like man, Legiel is really becoming the Uva. <laughs> yeah. Which you know someone's gotta be. I do really adore Daishinji taking a look at this whole conflict being presented to him with Toma potentially being a traitor. And looking at at the information he's getting from both sides and just deciding, you know what, what if I just ask the dang swords? He's so great. Dude knows what he's about, and that's one more reason I love him. Uh, another one reason I love him is that he is smolderingly charismatic. And also that, like, the costume they gave him is just bonkers and it shouldn't work. Because, okay, he's got the work overalls. An orange, like a red-orange shirt, sort of dark magenta leather jacket, and a bright pink sword. It, it shouldn't work together. I, you know, maybe it's just that I, I got the protonopia kind of colorblind. I don't know color theory, but Sono, should that, should that ensemble work? Probably not. And yet he radiates the cool required to pull it off, so it doesn't matter. But really, it's it's just the thing where, like, you know, 
like again, he he asks the sword, so he's going to put his trust in actions, and that's just a neat way to to elaborate on his character. Because like, yeah, it is easy to say some stuff, a lot harder to back it up. Because yeah, Reka says Saber's a villain, but he's seen Saber at work, so he's going to mess around and find out. Except for the part where he never messes around. Yeah. Like, it's just very cool that the two dudes who have the most experience and have actually lived through two prior betrayals by their closest friends are willing to big picture this situation and know from the get-go that something is off about how Logos is handling Toma compared to Kamijo and Kento's dad, who they just kind of let go. Yeah. With one of the swords? Yeah. Man, by the way, it's been a minute since we've heard anything about Kento's dad, huh? Yeah. Y'all y'all cast the guy who played Fuajuzo and you're doing nothing with him? What the hell? Maybe he's just busy. I mean, I hope that's what it is. I know my partner has a theory that he was supposed to be a bigger thing, but, like, he just he, he got busy. And as we all know, Toei don't pay enough to uh, to secure anyone's time. Yeah. But, like, the whole thing just reminds me of the concept of the idiot ball, which is where you just, you just kind of have to drop this ball into a character's hands so that they'll act a certain way, even when it seems, like, against their character or just good sense to do it. And I adore that they do not do that to Daishinji and Ogami. Because, like, yeah, like you said, they've been here before. They've got ideas. Now they just have to figure out what's actually going on. And I think that's why Reika is trying a lot harder with convincing Ren and Rintaro, because Ren's easy. All she has to say is, yo, remember how Kento died? And Ren is just, like, throwing himself at anything he can find that moves. He doesn't even care what it is. He'll swing a sword at it. And she knows what cards to play to keep Rintaro questioning himself. But Ogami and Daishinji have seen, like, too much. They know better, and she knows she can't really convince them beyond, like, look, dude, this is your job. And both of them are like, Logos has never steered us wrong, but let's keep an eye on it. But really, all she can do for the time being is, look, dude, this is your job. Yeah. And that's only going to work for so long. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't have a, a press here to win button. Which is why, especially in a hero series, manipulation ain't nothing in the face of conviction. Because the, the good guy... Again, common Rider rules state, if you have absolute conviction, or even a pretty good conviction that you're doing the right thing, you're going to do okay, and man, I don't see how Reika could not know she's just messing with people. Yeah. I, I do adore this kid who absolutely loves Toma, not for his award-winning novels, but for the huge model fantasy city he's built for his children's bookstore. <laughs> like, this kid has magazines about, like, award-winning novelists, and he's just like, man, look at that cool castle. And that he comes to Toma, and Toma responds to this with the full energy of, finally, someone wants to talk about miniatures with me. 
Like, in that moment, Toma had truly found a kindred spirit, and I was so happy for him. I'm like, dude, someone has finally validated your, like, weird niche hobby. Yeah. And it's... I mean, honestly, that's some real good miniature work on both of their accounts. Like, you can tell that the kid's is, is a little less mature, but he's getting there. Because, like, all I can think is that just painting minis is a painstaking process. God, it, yeah. It defeats me, because just thinking about all the steps just wrecks me. My my partner, uh, she used to play a lot of Warhammer 40k. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she's painted a lot of miniatures. And I'm just like... <sighs> but then I'm just imagining that, but also you build the things from scratch like good on Toma and the kid for getting like you said they, they've got this niche hobby and they're giving it some love and I don't know I bet there's probably some kids out there who are going to grow up to, to be really interested in dioramas and yeah. I'm glad they have some pop culture people who think that's cool um, just having been in you know like 100 yen shops in Japan you can get a lot of that stuff in those shops. Oh, nice. So, like, I really hope that some kids are able to, like, take their allowance and really indulge in a hobby they like. Yeah, same. Because, you know, there are... There's so many worse hobbies. It's actually... Like, putting together a well-done diorama, it, it is pretty amazing. Even if you're not, like, building it from scratch, it just... It, it feels nice. Yeah. I also really like that they had Daishinji be the one to go out and kind of be the first one to see that there really is a person in the Megid by being able to hear the kid within the Megid, like, calling for help in a way that none of the other swordsmen would have been able. It was a really cool use of the abilities that have been set up for Slash. And as a part of Daishinji's personality, that he tends to be the one to listen and examine a situation rather than throw himself in headfirst. And honestly, it's just... he's Daishinji's just my favorite character in the show. Which is really saying something, because Ogami's right there. They, they really are. The they're best. great, and they're great together. I love seeing them interact. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that I don't know, I feel like Daishinji is a lot younger than Ogami. They still have, they still put forth the feeling that these guys have been fighting monsters together for, like, multiple decades. The thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I feel like Daishinji is older than his actor. I mean, he has to be because yeah. of the timing. He would have been, like, a child when yeah. uh, Kento's dad did the betrayal. Um, I think Ogami is, is just... They just age differently. <laughs> I guess because, you know, Daishinji's, you know, inside a lot, doing doing work on things. And Ogami's out there, out in the world, running around. Though, like, I keep thinking he's gonna live a lot longer, because he's got, he's, like, his, his thing is a turtle. Turtles live a long time. Yeah. Also, though, like, I'm saying that, Daishinji's main power is, like, it's the, the the musicians of Bremen and Hansel and Gretel. So, like, he's, 
like Hansel and Gretel, they're kids, so like he gets, I'm sure he gets some sort of like youth out of it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I guess that kind of makes him the witch. Anyway, I'm not gonna think about this too deep. Um, I also kind of enjoyed watching Toma cycle through his upgrades as he was fighting Daishinji and really getting a good look at Daishinji's fighting style. Um, because the two of them had very different fighting styles in that duel, and getting to see that was surprisingly cool. And even kind of showed that, like, Toma's, Toma's forms seemed to be, like, kind of tied to his emotional state. Because we've seen him at his best, and he's, like, ridiculously powerful, but in this kind of really vulnerable emotional state, it's kind of dragged him down to the point that a base form of another swordsman can stand up to Dragonic Knight. And it's also cool that when we come back around in 20, Toma is using Daishinji's sword techniques. He's always trying to grow and get stronger, and... Picking up on the way the others fight and incorporating that shows how much he respects their skills, even if they're still opposed. Yeah, because, you know, he's he's not... He's not there trying to win. He just wants to help people. And that's... Again, that's a good power to have. In this sort of series. So, for all my myriad complaints about Yuri over these two episodes, I thought the escalator joke is the one that actually worked, and was also very funny. Yes. Because Yuri's whole thing is he gets distracted by modern things while searching for something important during a non-critical time, and then only kind of half understands it. That felt really in character for him. It did. And also, like, him just trying to walk down the escalator and just being so frustrated that if he wants to come down, he has to go to a different escalator when he's like, no, I want to go up the stairs and now the, then the magic stairs took me up. The magic stairs don't take me back down? What the hell? <laughs> These magic stairs are a racket, man. What the hell? Like, I that joke worked! And then I think about, like, the bicycle and I'm like, what was that? Yeah, I don't I think I think what was that is just going to be uh, a, a watchword <laughs> in this season, which I like. I hate saying it. I, I don't really enjoy saying that because, man, this show could be better. It wouldn't take much. Yeah, a thing I did find cute is that when the king Megid was building the castle, uh, he did like a spell and said like "chin chin pui pui," which was a callback to episodes two and three of *Common Rider Wizard*. Uh, because that was the spell from Shunpei's favorite children's book that he used when he thought he could become a wizard. You know, I had not caught that. That's a great callback. Also, okay, the King Magid is so weird. Because, like, okay, in I, I watched this uh, with the Izu subs, because those are the ones I, I could find. Um... And so the King Megid is translated as the Barefoot King. And, like, I wanted to know what the hell that was on about. Because, like, so I went on, I went looking to see, like, what is the Barefoot King? What is this story? And, like, there is a children's book about it, but that it's very recent, so I don't think that'd be the one. Um, and a few sidelong references to King Arthur, 
but it's like that's a that's like a nickname he had because King Arthur was very informal when he's when he's not on the battlefield, and that's why other people call themselves barefoot kings because like yeah, you're very important and powerful, but you know you're still down to earth. But I don't know. I just I was so baffled as to what the barefoot king could be a reference to because I don't know he doesn't seem very Arthurian okay so I was watching TV Nihon um, and this is this is one of the few instances where TV Nihon did not translate it with absolute literalness um, because the way they I don't know if I should be proud of them well, the way they translated it was the king's new clothes, which I, you know, mentally, the emperor's new clothes. And just yeah. kind of assumed that in Japan they were either using king and emperor interchangeably, or because it was um, a Hans Christian Andersen story, they used king because that is more European. Um, because emperor means something very specific to Japan. Where king, they would think more of a European king. Uh, which is kind of more how he is in that story. Because I guess, you know, Europe uses king and emperor kind of interchangeably. Yeah, but like you said, it's, it's a very specific thing over there. Yeah, so it, it made enough sense to me because the king, Megid, is kind of wildly manic and parading around calling things as if there are other things that they're not and looking to be praised for it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense like it's not a hundred percent what i would have called the the emperor's new clothes but you know a lot of these things aren't exactly the the stories they're based on like it's at least a, a little above the level of the ant and the grasshopper yeah that one was just kind of backwards um and i did try and do a quick look up to see if maybe um, Harashi no Osama was just what the Emperor's New Clothes is just called in Japan. Um, but it's apparently the title of a song from Gash Bell, and that's all I could find when just looking up Harashi no Osama. Well, you know, I I also kind of looked up, uh, like, Harashi, because that was, like, I know Osama, so... But that can mean barefoot, so... I don't know, like, is is it, is like there a Barefoot King that's a Japanese story, or, or is this something else I missed? See, I, tr I tried that too. I kept kind of digging around for this, like, I was coming from the angle of what is the Emperor's New Clothes called in Japan, because that way I could either rule it in or out. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And that brought me to the story, that story being called Haraka no Osama with Haraka being kind of a more general nakedness, as opposed to specifically the feet being naked. Um, yeah, no, yeah. And since a lot of ride books have these slightly altered titles from what their normal title is, I'm going to say it probably is Emperor's New Clothes, and that maybe it's also a reference to that Gash Bell song, and that's why it's Hadashi, because I don't know, Gash Bell was a long time ago, but maybe the kids would know it. Maybe it's a joke for older siblings, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm gonna say it's probably an Emperor's New Clothes reference. I- I think that does make sense, cause at least that's an actual, you know, story. Um, and like you said, a lot of the- the titles do get tweaked, cause, again, there's- there's, uh, the- the rock band of Bremen instead of the musicians of Bremen, or 
the one that messes with me the most, uh, Hanselnuts to Gretel, is I'm like, why why is Hansel like hazelnuts now? That's that's yeah, weird. That one I I haven't quite been able to parse what the joke is there. Yeah, like I I'm guessing it's it's just like playing up like hazelnuts, you you know, those can go into into like chocolatey things and confections. So they're they're trying to bring the the candy house in a little more, I guess. Like that's a stretch, but anyway, uh the point of this is hey kids, translation is fun. And also Anytime someone says that, like, you can machine translate a thing and have it be as good or better, they're liars. Oh boy, you cannot. No, yeah. Especially not between, like, English and Japanese. It's just, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, no, like, even even just on a word-to-word basis, um, because I would sometimes just use Google Translate to look up a word if I, when I was, you know, in, in classes for the language... Um, just to look up a, wor- a word that wasn't part of the our vocabulary in the textbook, but that I needed for a sentence to explain, like, my hobbies or something. Um, and when I looked up paint, because I do art things, it gave me the word for, like, there's a specific word for house paint as opposed to, like, art paint. And I ended up with the word for house paint. And then my teacher had to correct me. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, okay, a, a, a quirk of Swedish is that the word for paint and the word for color are the same word. That's, that just blows me away when you're like, you know, I want, you know, I want paint in this color. It's like, you will have der färje. I will have that color there. It's just, it's a weird work i mean there there are other words for paint but like there's the verb paint or like a painting and that's mola but that's yeah translation is a weird thing even between sort of notionally similar languages it's it's fantastic also to get back to the the subject at hand though um we we mentioned him earlier this episode has disaster and dang i love that dude yeah like this isn't even a deep thing but like i keep hoping that disaster is going to turn into something big in the end game so every time he shows up i get hype and also i mean you, you mentioned it earlier it's sort of given ren almost something to do or, or a plot line that might go somewhere eventually which you know that's nice and again like we we did say that was bad at the top of the show but i at least have appreciate them possibly seeding something for Ren that could be a little freaky because disaster calling the kid one of his own, like they pull that off, right? It could be really amazing. Especially since he's on that whole might makes right tip. Like it, it really is a shame because there's definitely something there. Like disaster is so cool and they're setting up something with Ren and him that could be interesting it's just, I, I can't trust that they know what to do with it. That they, like, have a plan beyond, we're gonna do this. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're right, because it's the halfway mark, and it's not like the, the head writer here is known for 
wrapping everything up in a neat little bow, you know? Yeah. And, and like, look, I'm not trying to be so down on the Reiwa era's sophomore writer series, but... Man, the through-line of this show, I think, is gonna end up being... Uh, they have a good idea, but they don't seem to know what to do with it. I mean, that which... sucks. To be fair... They're still ahead of Zio, who I'm not sure had an idea. I mean, I think they had an idea. I just feel like they kept getting told to change it. Yeah, so it's, they... I think they had an idea up until, like, they realized that Hatwaz wasn't working out. Yeah. And then they panicked because they didn't have a plan after that. Oh, man, Hatwaz. That was just... Like, as much as I hated that... I hated that they just pretended it didn't happen even more. Yeah, because, like, if they just would have paid that off and, like, we get to see this weird horror world where time had, where that Hatwaz calls a paradise, that is just a world where time has, has just stopped. I don't know what that would be like. I would have liked to see that. And also if we could have got Cape Waz eventually. So yeah. We could have all, but... You know, they didn't promise that, so we can't get... I can't get mad at them for that, even though I feel like it's so obvious that not doing it is just... Anyway. I, I feel like there we was should... actually some kind of plan, not necessarily for a Cape Waz, but for a Tsukuyomi Waz. I would hope so. And it just... I, everything just fell apart. <laughs> yeah, uh, they decided to make it about her big brother, and that was just... I mean, mostly it just seems like they didn't want to commit to, hey, we need this kid to be someone who could turn into uh, the horrible fascist dictator of the world. But we also need him to be someone that you like. Which, like, I swear, if they would have if they would have committed to making it feel possible that that kid could have been uh, his, his could have become his evil self... I feel like the show could have gone a lot further, but they just were unwilling to do that. Yeah, like, it could have been anything. Um, but, okay, I have, one, I have one more. One more for Saber. Yeah, okay, sorry, yeah. Um, I do have to give the kid who plays Toma credit, because he's very good at physical acting. It, it may be a little over the top, but the way he moves when he's supposed to be injured absolutely fascinates me he plays hurt better than a lot of the face actors in these shows like the way he's got these very jerky movements because injured parts of him seem to feel heavy and how he has to kind of haul himself like that really adds something to how he's not a dude made for fighting he doesn't know how to handle pain in his body he doesn't know how to fight through it but he's going to anyway like he just yeah, accepts pain as a necessary part of saving people yes that yeah and it, it really is refreshing and it, it makes it feel a lot more impactful when he transforms into saber and saber sort of stands up a little straighter before going into throwdown but you know, saber's still hurting but as his superheroic self, he's this other... He, he's in another world. He's on another level. And it's really 
it's really nice. And we never see him trying to move past his comparative physical frailty outside of, uh, as you observe, learning techniques and becoming, like, a bigger and more knowledgeable person. Because, like, in in the the rational facts and logic version of this, like, we'd see him, like, just put down the books, he just dedicate himself to training, and blah, 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 and, like, no, that's not what he's about. He's, he's not even the sort of person who'd think about that. He's just trying to become a bigger person, and that gives him all of these cool things to do, not the least of which is, is make it clear that when he gets messed up, he gets messed up and he struggles with it. And I'd, I'd rather have, like, yeah, some, sometimes he is pretty over the top, but I'd rather have that than him just being impervious, especially given how much of this show is trying to be about people, even as it, as a sort of a theme, this episode kind of fails to use some of its best assets to that end. A little bit. Like, yeah, I mean, again, they they keep dropping the ball on May. They've, they've dropped the ball on Ren, who, honestly, like, the things Ren could do compared to what he does are just, it's painful. It's painful. Because you have the kid, you have a guy who doesn't have the might, and he's all about doing what's right, and then you have the kid doesn't know right from wrong, but he's got all the strength, so he just thinks that's enough, and that's, especially given that they both care about Kenta so much, that could have been a really great hook to build an arc around. Just these two competing philosophies, but they just... Didn't. Don't. Yeah. Ah, well, C'est la vie. Um, well, that's a different show. Than, you know, Sailor V. Mm, true. Uh, anyway... Um, I th- that's about it for, for my notes. Um, you, you got any last-minute additions? Mm, cool-ish stuff coming, so hopefully next time we'll be more positive. We don't enjoy being down on it, but... It's it's a lot of, of sound and thunder signifying nothing. These, just, these were shame. very mushy episodes. Yeah, and like, boy, they do not have the time especially with all the plot threads they're setting up to have a mushy middle. Like just there's no time for that. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that with the stuff coming in the next couple of episodes, it's going to cuz again, I said this with zero one, and I was I was pleased. I would rather have a mushy 10s than a mushy 30s. Yeah. So if if they can really tighten it all up in the second half of this show, fine. Fine. Yeah. Good. I I want them to. So. But you know, um until then, for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sana. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.